I grew up in a little town called Selma in uh, Alabama, and uh, we'd go to church every Sunday with my grandmother and my mom and my dad and family, and we would grab a bucket of chicken on the way home, and we'd head to my grandparents' house. It was just a few minutes away, and there in that house was a chair that was very similar to this one. Uh, my grandfather would sit in that chair seemingly 24-7 in a chair just like this. And we'd come in and we'd find him and uh, if there was ever a chance that he would go to the restroom or go to grab something in the kitchen, we'd always look under the chair and we'd shake it in hopes that money would come out of the chair. Yes, indeed. I think he kind of sometimes planted money that just would fall out of his pockets, but we would race to get to the chair. And my grandfather would sit in the chair and sometimes uh, he, would, he would sit down and and he would get the grandkids uh, and call one of us over and say, hey, can you come and uh, take my socks off? Which, now that I think about it, was pretty gross, uh, pretty disgusting. Uh, or he would bark into the kitchen for my grandmother to bring him something to eat or something to drink. And there he was in that chair. In fact, if you look in our family album, most of our Halloween pictures, our Christmas pictures, we are surrounding the chair. Okay. Now, there's something I have to admit that kind of draws me to the chair sometimes. Maybe because I see some of these pictures. Maybe you've uh, seen some of these souped-up pictures of what chairs look like. You know, they have some bells and whistles these days. Uh, air conditioning in some and massaging chairs. Have you ever been in one of the confession time? Have you ever been to Brookstone before just to get the free massage from the chair? There you go. I may or may not have known about a youth pastor that got kicked out of one of those on a missions trip because you get a free massage from the chair. Uh, there's cup holders. There's all kinds of things that you can get with. They're pretty, pretty amazing, uh, these chairs, these lazy boys now. I even saw a video of this guy that decided to take it to the next level, and he loves his chair so much that he motorized it, and now is just, there you go. He's like, I, I just can't be comfortable anywhere else except in my chair. And he was the hit of the parade or whatever this was that was going on there. So about 1 o'clock, 1.30 every Sunday, I don't have a chair like this, but man, there's a chair in our house that I just am drawn to. I just, if it's the Texans or whoever's on TV, and I just like, just collapse in that chair and it just, it just feels great for a few minutes, right? And it just feels like there's this vortex that is sucking me into this place. And especially if, an, if I actually can find the remote control in the house. There's two things in our house that we have trouble keeping up with, pacifiers and remote controls. Uh, who knows where they go? Or in socks, of course. But uh, it's your house. What did you call this little device here? Did you, did you call it growing up the remote control? Maybe the flipper? The what? Channel the channel changer, the zapper, the, D, the doohickey, maybe. Get that doohickey for me over there. Or, or uh, the flipper. That, those are all uh, popular terms in my house. But there's something awesome about having the remote in your hand. And my grandfather would rarely get, it was like we had to sprint if he just like turned his head for a minute to grab the remote because the remote is where the power is, right? You control the TV stations, you control what we're, we're watching. And I've thought about it sometimes, maybe you've thought about it, wouldn't it be great if we had a life remote sometimes? That could, we could actually control people? They even made a really bad Adam Sandler movie about this, do you remember that? 
let's be honest, aren't all Adam Sandler movies bad at this point? I think the name of it was Click, and uh, he would use the remote to control people. Yeah, remember, fast forward past certain parts, uh, rewind on certain things, or maybe even mute certain people, like maybe your boss. I wasn't going to say spouse. What's up with that? Wouldn't that be great, though? Or maybe we could even actually control the Texans, and they could you know, have a winning record or a quarterback that we believed in or any of those things. But that's, I regress there. Uh, but wouldn't it be great if we could just control certain things and just sit back in the chair? I feel this pull all the time to this place. And I don't know about you, it's just like it's calling my name to be there. We're in this series, uh, it's called Beneath the Surface, and uh, we're in the book of James. And we've been exploring James for a while now. We're, we're almost to the finish line. We're in chapter four and five. You can turn there if you have your Bible this morning. And just to catch you up a little bit, James is the brother of Jesus. And uh, he's also writing this letter so that he can help Christians that are scattered. They're scattered around the region. And this is a Roman uh, region where Christians are very, um, there's a low percentage and society is way different and uh, there's a lot of persecution happening. And so James is writing people that are, are out there really kind of by themselves in small little huddles and he's giving them practical advice. How can you live this life? How can you be a, an authentic Christ follower in the world? And so that's kind of where we've been in the last few weeks, some really practical things for us. And so this warning has some warnings for us. He has three warnings. Now, let's just be honest. Sometimes when we hear warnings, they're, I don't know what it is about them, but they're kind of one ear and out the other. Here's a few examples of this. You know, we see signs, and uh, it's just like, yeah. There's, this is a funny one. Uh, you know, just signs we sometimes ignore. Or, or maybe this one, this guy, I bet, wishes that he would have followed this warning here. And uh, maybe another one here. This is just human nature, isn't it? This is, we could probably take pictures of this everywhere. In fact, there was a place, there you go, this bear obviously didn't heed that warning. I wonder if that's a doctored picture. Uh, and maybe there was this place at camp there in Florida that... Uh, there's a young man named Eddie Wachowski, and uh, then his youth pastor with the, uh, the Cubs hat on there. This was like a tradition that we'd actually go and take a picture at this water hose, just because that's what you do when you're a youth pastor and uh, you're in youth group. But sometimes we hear warnings, we see warnings, but we just kind of ignore them. Maybe it's because when we were kids, our mother said, if we roll our eyes too much, you're going to get stuck in the back of the head, and our head, and that never happened because I did that a lot, uh, but we hear warnings and they're just kind of one ear and out the other. But today, I think these warnings are pretty important for us. In fact, I think they have kind of grave uh, consequences for us, and we need to really dig in. So James chapter 5, we're going to look at three of them, and uh, we're actually going to go in reverse order, kind of backwards order, because like I said, I'm from Alabama. We do things backwards sometimes. Uh, so James chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. And it says this, and the heading on mine is warning to rich, the rich. Now listen, you rich people, whip, weep, and well, whip. <laughs> you can whip or nay-nay. Um, <laughs> weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted 
and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. This sounds pretty disturbing. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And so here's this warning to the rich, those that have things. And, and let's be honest, there's a consistent pattern here. I mean, from Proverbs in the Old Testament to Jesus and Paul, there's this warning to people that have wealth. You know, remember what Jesus said, it's harder or it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle for, than someone who has money or has riches to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we all, we've heard this before, this warning of the dangers of, of riches, but let's be honest. I mean, if I gave you three wishes today and before this sermon started and I said, what, what are those three wishes? And you would probably, in the midst of those things, you would say something like, win the lottery or have lots of, of stuff or money, right? I mean, I would probably say that as well. But don't we see stories all the time of people that have had, won, they've won the lottery and what's happened? Their life falls apart. And things just go to chaos and destruction because they got everything that they thought that they wanted. And we, we have this thing that's inside of us, this desire for comfort, that if we just have more stuff and things, then I'll be happy, then I'll be, uh, have joy in my life, then I'll have peace, I don't have any worries, right? That's kind of inside of us that's, that's there. And so here's this warning to people that have money and have riches. And, and at the heart of this passage is, look, when you get riches, something happens. You begin to mistreat people around you. Employees is the example here. So the danger in the warning is this. Your heart begins to shift from loving God and others to loving comfort and things. Now, I know what you're saying. This is what I say when I read this passage Good thing that I'm not rich. <laughs> Good thing that I'm not rich. Well, I, I was in a plane this week. One of the things I love to do in a plane is when we get to a certain point, you start to look. If you look down out of the window, things become very, very small. I like to see the cars to see to the point where kind of the, almost the last point where you can see them driving along, and they look so tiny, don't they? And the houses there are huge houses begin to look so small until you see it maybe pulls little blue dots and you get so high that you can't even see that. The perspective on the world changes when we look at it through the eyes of God. And the reality is this, we are so rich. We are extremely rich. Just look at the statistics of the world. I mean, if you, and, and, I, and I hate to break this to you, or maybe this is good news for you today, and, and we've talked about this before, if you make $47,000 as a household, you're in the top 1% of the world. One per, wouldn't we all say that 1% is rich? You're in the top 1% of the world. If you make 25 k as a household, you're in the top 10% of the world. In fact, Statistics tell us this, that 17% of the world, and that's, you know, we're in that category, consume 80% of the world's resources, and only 10% of the world, give or take, own a car. So, here's a kind of Jeff Foxworthy moment, moment. If you've ever gone to your closet and said, 
in the midst of tons of clothes, I have nothing to wear. You might be rich. If you've ever gone to the refrigerator and yelled out to mom, mom, there's nothing to eat in here in the midst of a full refrigerator, you might be rich. If your car has a house to live in, you might be rich. If you have so many things that you can't even fit your car into the car's house, you might be rich, okay? So warning to all of us. Here's the warning. Here's the warning. In our pursuit of comfort and stuff, if I only, if I only had more, if I only was rich, if I only could just be comfortable, but that pulls us away from people, and it pulls us away from God. Warning number two. This is the section. It says this. At the top of it says to the self-confident, and this is James chapter 4, 13 and 16, and this is going to be real familiar to you. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to that city and we'll spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why do you, why do you not even know, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, a vapor, and it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, uh, all such boasting is evil. Have you ever made plans before and the plans didn't quite work out the way you thought they would? Some of you right now are already planning Christmas. You're already planning Thanksgiving and you've got images in your mind that are just amazing. Now, how many times have those images actually come true of this great event? I was at, uh, I had the privilege of being able to, uh, to uh, preach at a, or do a wedding last week in Austin and at a beautiful location in Lake Travis. Haven't been spent much time in Austin, but it's a, a pretty cool town. It just I love the fact there's actually elevation of some sort there in Austin. Great restaurants. The, the couple picked out this beautiful place uh, and lo- overlooking Lake Travis and just gorgeous and planned it perfectly that at sunset over the lake that you're going to have this wedding. And, and just the, the site outside was right there. And what happened last week? It poured, and it poured, and it poured some more. Okay, now this are, these aren't actual pictures. Fortunately for the couple that I, I got to, to be involved with, they were able to move their wedding inside. Okay? But one couple, they were locked into their location. And so as we walked by, they're outside in the pouring rain, just umbrellas everywhere, and people are huddled together. In a million years, <laughs> I bet, in all the planning and thoughts for this young bride, she probably never thought that was the kind of picture that she would have on, on her wedding day. Our plans, as much as we want to control things, we can't control things, right? And sometimes we hear words and we know and experience words firsthand that just totally change the future for us. Words like, like cancer. And some of you guys have experienced that firsthand. And there's two things that, that I, one thing I know and one thing is unknown. I know this, your life is very fragile. And we forget that, don't we? It's fragile. Life is so fragile. And the unknown is this, the future is unknown. You don't know what's going to happen the rest of the day. We think that we know. We've kind of got plans, but we don't know for sure what's going to happen. And we certainly don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Life is very fragile, and there's an unknown there. 
Now, if I say the phrase, who is the greatest, the greatest of all time, now we're all in church, we'd say God, but the greatest of all time, thinking the human, who, who would say a statement like this? All right, let me show you a video, quick video of, of who I was thinking of. All right, so Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest fighters of all time, and, and told everybody, he was great at telling everybody, very charismatic guy. What does Muhammad Ali look like now? 73. He's got Parkinson's disease. And we see a very visual example of how fragile life is. And here's the danger for us in this, this warning, that we can put our temporary and our fading greatness above God's eternal glory. That we can, we can raise our fragile greatness above God's forever greatness. And we all have that temptation to do that that we can actually control, that we can actually control things, maybe even people. I wonder if we've ever turned the remote control and turned it to God and tried to control him. And there was this process, and just real quickly, uh, author Kevin Myers talks about it. He says this, we begin to talk the lie about this, that we can do certain things or that we are certain things that we can control things. We talk this lie. We then believe the lie that we're talking about, and then we boast about that lie. We live in the lie, and then we die without God. Because ultimately, here's the warning here. Your desire for control causes you to exclude God from certain areas of your life. Warning number two. Warning number three is found in a few verses before. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and, and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And now the picture becomes clear. And the recliner, it begins to slowly rise up, and the recliner turns into something far different. It becomes a throne, and this throne of judgment where you become God, and you give judgment, and you know what's best for people, and you know what's right. And there's a throne, this moral authority that you look out into the whole world from your chair, judging friends and Family members, maybe people we see on TV, fellow Christ followers. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? There's two main reasons that uh, an author, James Brian Smith, says, and he says this. We want to fix people or we want to feel better about ourselves. We want, we're trying to fix people. We think we can do that or we can feel better about ourselves. But, but let's be honest. No one likes to be judged. No one receives that very well, Right? We don't like it, and yet we are pretty good about giving it. Mother Teresa said this, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. And here's the warning. And, and Jesus is pretty, he's honest about this. With James, he says it again. He says this, listen, if you give judgment, guess what? You're going to get judged, just like the judgment that you gave. You'll receive, and you'll get the same thing. So, 
how do we resist this? What is the practical things that we can do to resist this pulling, this calling? The chair is just, it, it's got a hook in our hearts. How can we resist that? How we can resist the chair of comfort? Now, here's the first, I got a little quiz for you, and I'll just open it up, John, just the ladies, but who was the sexiest man alive in 2014? Now, if you're too quick to this answer, maybe this is a, a tell for you. Uh, but the sexiest man alive, this is exactly when you're supposed to say, wives, my husband uh, was, let's see if you can guess who it is with your neighbor. 2014. <laughs> We're not shouting out answers, ladies, okay? Man, this cat call. Woo. We just guess Guess at your tables, or your tables, your chairs. Uh, People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive 2014 was? Chris Hemsworth. Holy moly. I think we need to have an altar call right now. He is a good-looking man, all right? Let's be honest, okay? Thor. I mean, if you could be Thor, I mean, there you go. Now, he was on the Jimmy Kimmel show when this got announced, and they make a big deal about these silly things, and I, I sell them magazines and whatnot. But so they go to him, and they have an interview, and Jimmy asks him, well, is there anyone you'd like to thank for this great honor that you've had? And uh, let me see if I can get the exact quote here. He says this. He says, who do I want to thank for this honor? My parents for putting this together. <laughs> I thought that was a great answer. My parents, it's kind of a silly kind of thing, but it's my parents for putting this together. And kind of the reality of that silly moment is that's a lot of truth there, is that when we give credit where credit is due, it takes us out of the chair, the chair of, of taking comfort all the time and, and, and trying to, think that we're actually responsible for the good things in our lives and the positions that we're in. And let's be honest here for a second. We talked about us being rich a little sec a second ago. The only reason why that we live here in this great country and have the opportunities and the things that we have is there's nothing that you did. There's nothing that I did. It's the circumstances of life and the goodness of our God that we get the things and the places that we have. And with that, we have a great responsibility, don't we? A huge responsibility. So there's these moments where we suddenly go, I have done this. I have made this. I've made fire. You know, we have these moments where we think it's, it's all us. But, you know, the reality is we need to stop in the moments and say, God, this is all about you. James talks about it. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So we give credit where credit is due. In those moments, we say, God, thank you so much. And this is why worship is so important. This is why praising God is so important, thanking God in the moments of life. And maybe there's going to be some moments that come up this week that you just say, God, thank you so much. And our hearts begin to shift, and we get out of the chair a little bit more. How do we resist this, this chair of, of control? Maybe we need to start asking the question. We need to start asking the question and following the answer. What's the question? Well, there, there's this, there's, back when I was a teenager, we used to have this thing where uh, there was secular music and there was Christian music. 
okay? Are you tracking with me? Secular music and Christian music, some of you who grew up in youth group know about this. There would even be charts that are like, okay, if you like this band, okay, you can, you know, if you like, uh, I don't know who it was, maybe you 2 then you would listen to DC Talk. Or, so there would just be these transition charts because there's, there's different kinds of music. There's Christian and secular. But reality is, it's just music, right? Now, there's some that's honoring to God, and there's some that's maybe not so honoring to God, but, but there are not these separations that we put that are out there. And so there's things sometimes that we separate in our lives. There's different areas. There are different places that we say, this is God's, and this is not God's. So the question is this. Are you willing to ask this question? God, what's your will for my life? What do you want in this area of my life? In, in, in my finances, my job, who I date, where I go to school, my future, where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to parent, my marriage. And these are some areas that some have just not asked the question, God, what do you want for this area of my life? And then there's some of us, maybe, that have asked the question but don't want to hear the answer. And that's where James tells us this, if you know the good that you ought to do, but you don't do it, it's a sin. It's wrong. It's disobeying God. And so we don't even, we don't either, don't want to ask the question, or we don't want to know the answer. But what God's inviting to us today is this. Ask the question of every place of your life. God, what do you want from me? And be willing to follow the answer. God, what do you want for this place in my life? And I don't want to exclude any, any area. So how do we resist this area of, of control? How do we, we, we give this, this control thing over to God? We give him the remote control of our life as well. How do we resist the chair of judgment? There's a show, uh, we watch a lot of these shows now. Uh, American Idol was probably the first one that came out where somebody would come out and we would suddenly hear them sing or America's Got Talent, you know, there's judges there, and we would watch, and some of our, our favorite videos are the ones that people just totally blow it, okay, and they just have these moments that are super awkward, we even, you know, we'll, we'll redub the, 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 the audio from it, and they'll become popular, and we just, these videos just go viral of people embarrassing themselves on, on TV, and we have the tryouts, right, the tryouts are the best parts, all right, now for me, kind of reveled in that at, at one point, but then it just began to feel uncomfortable. And, and I think the voice, if you don't know if you watch the voice, but the voice is pretty good about this. There's somebody that comes out and, and they sing, and then there's the, the, the family that's behind the stage, and they're kind of watching to see what's going to happen. Now, I started putting myself in the place of the family, okay? I started to stand beside mom and dad or brother and sister, and I started to get nervous, like, I get nervous watching these kids or these people on stage, and I'm like, man, I just want them to do well. I just want them to come. I want the judges to turn around, especially when they share their story, right? They share their life story, and you're like, come on, turn around for her. Turn around for him. And we're pulling for the people. Now, here's what I think James is telling us. Judgment is when we take grenades, and we launch them at people, and we run. But what God's calling us to do is not to throw grenades, but to live beside people, to live and walk beside them, and to opt for something better. Now, candy uh, was given out last night, I was, I was told, and sometimes the bag opens up, and you have a choice that's there. 
You've got a choice of what candy to grab if, you know, that's there. Now, worst candy of all time is Halloween candy. I was doing a survey all this week. I've heard different answers. You can kind of throw out stuff. Candy corn, licorice. Has anybody ever given you a toothbrush before? Or fruits or raisins, something like that? Yeah. Candy corn's up there. My favorite uh, is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Uh, I have done a dad tax on all of my kids' uh, bags, and, and I put them in the freezer. because of, you know, You've got a choice here, and the choice is, is pretty easy, I think. You know, candy corn and Reese's, that's a pretty easy choice. The choice is this, mercy and grace, judgment and condemnation. Mercy and grace that you're going to give out to people, judgment and condemnation. Now, what would you like in that, that choice? It's a pretty easy one, isn't it? I want grace. I choose mercy. I want that for me, and I want that for other people. Now, how do we get out of this chair? Because it's easy to get there. When the moment you have in your life, and I've asked this question of myself this week, who am I judging in my life? Who am I quick to judge? Because we all are quick to judge, right? We all have that temptation to be there. Who in my life am I quick to judge? And when that person pops into my mind, pray with them or pray for them. You pray for that person. Even it's somebody that you don't know, maybe somebody that you're seeing on TV a lot these days, and it's easy when we don't know them, right, to just judge people. Maybe we take some minute, and here's the prescription for you. Pray for that person for a week. Authentically. And then come back to the table. And if you can't walk beside that person to help them, because let's be honest, judgment comes out of a lot of times of us saying, well, I'm going to fix that person. I want to help that person. And we throw things and we run. If God wants you, if he's telling you in your heart to walk beside somebody, then take that step of I'm going to be with you on this. I'm going to help you in this. That's what real accountability is all about. That's how we get out of this, this place of judgment. Because there's only one lawgiver, and there's only one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy Today, obviously, it's been a pretty easy uh, kind of metaphor thought for us with the chair. But I keep, come, I keep coming back to this chair. The chair, it just pulls us. It does. The, the desire for comfort, the desire for control, the desire to be kind of just judge over the world and over our families and everyone we come in contact with, it's so easy. And a lot of people want to stay in this chair. If you stay in this chair, the future, remember that list? You start to think it, you believe it, and then there's separation from God. God says, if you want to live in the chair of your life, you can. You can. You can sit there. You can try to be in control even though you're not. You can try to sit in the place of judgment of others, but guess what? Judgment's gonna come back on you. And ultimately, if you wanna be Lord of your life, he says you can, you can. But the future is without him. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me today.
maybe there's been some questions that, that God stirred up in you today. Maybe, maybe there are some things in your heart and your life. There's some places where if you're, you were honest with him, you'd say, and I'm just, I'm trying to control. Or maybe God said, you, you haven't asked me the question. You haven't asked what I want. You've planned without me. Or maybe you know the answer. And you just haven't been willing to follow Maybe there's things in your life that you've just taken all the credit. And really it's about him. It always has been. Are you willing today to get out of the chair and let the one who deserves it, the one who gives good gifts, the one that gives peace, the one that gives real joy, the one that can affect change in the hearts and lives of others, the one that wants to give grace and mercy. Are you willing to allow him to sit in the chair, the throne of your life today? If that's you, I just invite you to pray as I'm praying and just say, God, I confess that I have tried to, to control others and you and I, there's just a mountain of things in my life, and I, quite frankly, am just trusting myself, my own way, and I want to turn my heart and my life over to you today, and I want to follow you. I want to trust in you and believe that you are the one that provides. You are the one that is the judge. You are the one is the grace giver. Would you pray with me? God, you're so good to us, Lord. We are grateful for a God that doesn't give us what we deserve. You are a God of mercy and grace. Help us to see and to understand with our hearts that you are a father that loves us and wants the best for us and has a future for us. God, I pray for my friends in this room, maybe some that are, are just, they've been sitting on that chair for so long, they don't even know how to get up and they wanna take a step today. Lord, I pray in their, their heart and their lives, Lord, right now that they would take a step toward you and they would offer you the seat of control. Jesus, we confess to you that we fall short, that we have fallen short. We confess our sins to you. We confess our desire to be you. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would let grace intervene today as we allow you to be Lord of our lives, God. I pray for those who are saying that prayer for the first time right now around this sanctuary. God, we declare that you are king, that you are God, that you are Lord. God, help us to live this out daily. Father, we lift these things up to you now. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. We have a great God. We have a good Father, one that is uh, the offer of mercy and grace. He is the one that deserves praise. He is the one that has saved us. He's not here to judge us. He is for you. He's for your family, and he wants us to be his ambassadors in the world. Let's honor God this morning. Let's put God in the right place this morning as we sing and as we worship him today for the song that we sang earlier. I love object lessons. 
This week, as you are out and about and you're sitting in your kitchen table or your living room chair, just ask yourself that question this week. Am I in the chair right now or am I out of the chair? Am I trying to control my life or am I relinquishing it to the one who is in control whether I like it or not? Pray for those people, the ones who have a little bit of extra grace required in your life. Go in the name of the one who is in control this morning. Be his people with your words and your actions. Grace and peace to you.